Welcome, welcome, welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Happy Friday. Thanks for being with us. Coming up on the show today, Purdue. They take care of business against Rutgers and Mackey. We'll get to that after headlines. Plus, Daniel Jeremiah with an interesting uh, comment on who he likes for the Colts in the draft. The NCAA remains focused on the important stuff. Get to that later this hour. Plus, uh, in hour number two, Cam Heidi. He had a breakout game. We'll get to that in a second. He gives Matt Painter no choice moving forward. Plus, Major League Baseball has a uniform issue. In particular, a pants problem. <laughs> Don't we all? I guess. <laughs> uh, Derek Decker, uh, play-by-play broadcaster. He will be covering the Bishop Lures in Brownstown Central game. Also has followed Norwell all season. Uh, he will join us after uh, around 8.35 or so to preview the uh, 2A and 3A state title games featuring Fort Wayne area schools coming up tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Well, both games here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 12.45 tip for the Lures game. That's approximate 6 p.m. tip. That should be on the dot for the Norwell game. And uh, before we leave you, Japan's Naked Man Festival coming to an end. Aww. And it's an interesting reason as to why. Okay. So that's all to come on Hate the show to today. It. Yeah. Any naked events that come to an end <laughs> is just uh, sad news for the world. <laughs> so that is what we'll be, we will be discussing. And Justin, you have, a, you have a busy day ahead of you. I do. So got to jet out of here a little bit earlier in the second hour. I got to uh, make some arrangements at work and then head down to uh, Gatlinburg. We have a weekend event for OPS 7 on 7 in Gatlinburg. Families going with. Sounded like a good idea at the time, but now I'm facing a seven and a half hour drive with a 14 year old and a 14 month old. Just make sure you stop at Bucky's. Uh, you on the told way. me that yesterday. Got to make a, a stop at Bucky's. Um, we'll we'll build our entire Get some trip beaver nuggets. That. Yeah, so maybe I will, Bucky will be there. He was there uh, one really? of the last times was I was he? there. Yeah, really. So that maybe, was cool. maybe we'll look out. So yeah, I'll be jetting out of here earlier today, and we'll be out on Monday. But plenty to get to today before I get out of here. So are you staying in Gatlinburg or in... We are staying in a condo, townhouse, cabin type thing about 10 minutes outside of Gatlinburg. Okay. Sevierville? Uh, I don't know where it's at or what the... Uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me look Pigeon it up here. Pigeon Forge? <laughs> uh, it's not Pigeon Forge. I know that. Um, it's it's like right adjacent to uh, Smoky Mountain National Park, basically. Oh, okay. Very cool. So, yeah. Uh, Which, uh, I mean, if you have time, check out the park because it's free. That, doesn't doesn't cost anything. Really, that's my thing. It, technically, our um, our address is in Gatlinburg, so we're about ten minutes away from the facility that we're going to be playing at. So it, it's it's a this is the, this is the tough thing because my wife is like, well, what are we going to do, and 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 can we do this, that, and the other? And one of the things was the park, and it's like my schedule is contingent on how successful we are. I could be done by three o'clock each day, or I could be done at seven o'clock each day, Saturday, Sunday. So very difficult to plan what to do. When you don't know what your job is going to entail and, and, and your work hours. So hopefully I get some time, but uh, we'll see. But I got to face that drive today. But it's supposed to be pretty clear weather and, and very nice on Sunday down there. So looking forward to it. Should be good. And you'll be out Monday. So Derek Decker actually will be filling in. So a lot of Derek Decker this weekend. Derek Decker, he'll be able to recap. Hopefully, hopefully a couple state titles. Absolutely. Home. Let's dive into headlines and we start in the NFL, and the Chiefs have signed the so-called punt god, Matt Areza, uh, who was dismissed uh, in December from a lawsuit. The, the 
accused him of raping a 17-year-old girl in 2021. Um, Tommy Townsend, the Chiefs punter, is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent. So we'll see what uh, the punt god can do probably here in the NFL. Yeah, we'll see uh, just exactly what this will mean. It's, it's always difficult with these things because once you're accused of such a thing, that tends to follow you, whether yes. you're guilty or not guilty. And um, we'll see if, if it's still a talking point going into next season. But um, yeah, uh, seemingly the rich just keep getting richer in terms of talent, even at punter. Yeah. Now he was drafted by the Bills, sixth round of the 2022 NFL draft. Never played, though, in an NFL game. He was released in the summer of 2022, shortly after uh, the rape lawsuit. So no criminal charges, though, filed in that case. That was announced in December of 22. So the Jets brought him in for a workout last May, but now getting his chance in the NFL. So from the NFL to college, and we have uh, more details on the AA Sports College football game. And all 134 FBS schools will participate. Not Including Kennesaw State, who yeah. will be new to FBS next year. So, full roster of teams. Players will get $600 plus a copy of the game, and they can opt in via the Compass NIL app, and more than 11,000 players expected in the game. Now, I have not done the math, but there are, what, 85 scholarship players? Now, are uh-huh. only scholarship players allowed to well, get the money? How it, does that work? It's a max 85 for each school. Okay. Whether that works out as scholarship, none, who knows? I don't know how they're going to figure that out, but max 85. So we take 85, we multiply it by 600. It's really not as much money as I would have, would have guessed. Well, you got to do $51,000. Well, 85 times per team. 134, 85 players times 134 teams times $600 is $6.8 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So, but I think for the majority of the players, the fact that they're going to be in this game and the fact that they get a free copy is going to be bigger than the $600. I mean, particularly when you're talking about, you know, guys that are going to end up going to the NFL high potential high draft picks, but the, 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 the fact that they're going to be able to play with their name image likeness on this game is going to be huge. And it's, it's a great idea for EA by basically making every single FBS player an ambassador of the game by giving them a free copy. It's just genius. It'll be curious to see if there's a top player who opts out. I just have a hard time thinking somebody will. Yeah, I do. Because I, you're I making well. so much money probably in other NIL deals that, uh, yeah, just cash the 600 bucks and, and be in the game. And, and you got to look at it, too, is you, know, you can be exported out of that game into Madden and uh, be ahead of it. You don't have to wait till Madden to be in a video game. So... Now, I think this is a, is a pretty cool deal. It's going to force me to get a PlayStation 5. My wife doesn't know it yet, but that's what's going to have to happen. <laughs> um, you know, there were, there were some interesting things, too. It came out yesterday because they had a lineup of, of personalities that were going to be in the game, like Kirk Herbstreet and Reese Davis and, and uh, Jesse Chris Palmer, Fowler. Chris Fowler, guys like that. And I saw a couple, I think Molly McGrath me- messaged or mentioned something on Twitter and, and Holly Rowe, too, about the lack of a female presence. On the, because it was a list of like six or seven guys and no females in terms of a sideline reporter or a studio analyst or whatever. And I did think that was kind of a that omission. is weird. And you would hope that maybe that's coming or if hopefully it wouldn't be too late to add. No, I don't think so. Somebody, but it's just uh, it is kind of uh, puzzling that they wouldn't have a female. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, from college football to the NBA and the NBA suspending Detroit Pistons forward center Isaiah Stewart three games for his altercation with the Suns' Drew Eubanks in an arena prior to a game on February 14th, and uh, that dovetails perfectly into the Pacers taking on the Pistons last night. First game out of the All-Star break for Indiana. They get a 129-115 to win in that game, and uh, good performance by Tyrese Halliburton still, I think, on a minutes restriction, 34 minutes, uh, but 25 points, 13 assists in the game. Pascal Siakam had 20 points. Uh, TJ McConnell was 16 as well for the Pacers, who get it done. Uh, solid shooting night, 53% from the field, 43% from three, 84% from the line. So they take care of the lowly Pistons and the Pacers looking to build some momentum here coming out of the All-Star break. Yeah, it's it's more of a case where you better beat the Pistons type yeah. thing. And uh, the Pistons actually made this um, a game with a, a, a good third quarter and kind of cut the lead to about uh, after a, a great start by the Pacers in the first half. But uh, the Pacers were able to uh, to hold serve in the fourth quarter and win this game. Nobody wants to lose to the Pistons. The Pacers did not last night. Yeah, thankfully, they did not. They took care of business. Uh, from the NBA to women's college basketball and IU with a big upset last night at a sold-out assembly hall. They take down number four, Iowa and Caitlin Clark, 86-69. to uh, IU really kind of controlled this game really throughout uh, since uh, in the second quarter on. And Caitlin Clark, she had 24 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, so almost a triple-double, but she was just 8 of 26 from the field, 3 of 16 from three-point range. Uh, Mackenzie Holmes with 24, Sarah Scalia with 25 to lead the Hoosiers. It was very much a, a statement win in a lot of ways for Indiana. A home home game uh, against a, a top-five opponent in Iowa, and of course, Caitlin Clark. And you know, I, Indiana was coming off a disappointing performance, losing to Illinois on Monday, and we're really kind of looking to really get a statement win here late in the season to boost their seeding for the NCAA tournament, uh, because the IU women will actually be in the NCAA yes. tournament compared to the women. And so this was a huge game in terms of, of resume building, in terms of showing that uh, the lost Illinois was a blip on the radar, and, and just a great atmosphere at the Assembly Hall last night for this game and a statement statement dub by the Hoosiers. It was great to see and a three point barrage last night. And maybe the women can show the men a little bit uh, <laughs> about how to make threes, but um, Sydney Parrish back and she had some big threes last night. And that was big because Iowa's and this was three point defense as well, because Iowa averages close to 10 made three pointers per game and Indiana limited them to just five of 27 for 19%. 16 of those 27 were launched by Caitlin Clark. She only made three of them. And for IU, also big in the standings because now they're ahead of Iowa by a half game in the Big Ten and one and a half games back of Ohio State. So um, still have a chance. Uh, but you have three teams right there really all crowded together at the top, uh, just two games apart at the top of the Big Ten standings. Uh, not like the men's side. <laughs> Could you imagine if you went to both games uh, consecutive days and just the energy and uh, atmosphere of the men's game compared to the women's game. I mean, just in terms of fan support and positivity and excitement and all that stuff, like it had to be a complete 180 from one night to the next. Chris Tucker and Zach Taylor, uh, the Bengals coach, randomly at the IU game 
not last night, but a couple nights ago for the men, they should have stuck around and saved for the women's game. Yeah, Victor right? Oladipo was there last night, though. Yeah, see some, see the the best Hoosiers basketball team. The Absolutely, women. the women uh, get it done uh, with a big win. Uh, meanwhile, in college football, NBC making a change. Jack Collinsworth out as the play-by-play guy for the Irish for Notre Dame on NBC. Jason Garrett will stay as the color commentator. Dan Hicks, who's covered the Irish before, long time with NBC, will step into the play-by-play role. I didn't feel like Jack Collinsworth did a terrible job. It was just the combination of him and Garrett equated to like zero energy yes, whatsoever. And I don't know if it was... It's maybe too soon for Jack to be in a role like that. I mean, he's not even 30 years old yet. And and maybe he that was just too big of a jump to maybe kind of lead that broadcast and and <coughs> and bring some sort of energy and direction to it because it just feels like aimless sometimes with him and Jason Garrett. Um, but I just think it's a guy that needs more seasoning and that's perfectly fine for a dude that's 28, 29 years old still. So uh, a bit of a change for Notre Dame broadcast. But I don't think it's an indictment on Jack Collins or like you think it's just maybe um, a little bit. He was thrust into too much too soon. And hopefully NBC can put him into different positions to grow. And, and again, he's done a good job as a, a host, whether it's in studio or on the sidelines and for, for other games. And that's what he was doing before he took the Notre Dame play by play job, obviously getting experience doing games on Peacock for NBC during college basketball season as well. And I would imagine with NBC's increased college football presence, he'll be on other broadcasts. Yes, I, I would expect that to continue. Uh, from nationally and NBC to here locally in Fort Wayne, the Tin Caps, uh, they have their uh, summer uh, seasonal broadcaster and the Syracuse to Fort Wayne pipeline continues. Jack Gordon uh, will continue as a broadcaster for the Tin Caps this summer. Uh, he will be a graduate of Syracuse coming up this spring. So uh, Syracuse to Fort Wayne. It's just that natural pipeline. Yeah. Time and time again. Yeah, so uh, looking forward to it. And here's the cool thing, too, with the, with, the, with the progress that we've seen from guys going from Tin Caps to bigger roles with ESPN or whatever, it's, it's pretty cool because you never know who the next one's going to be. That is true. We've had several uh, that got on uh, to ESPN or getting some some national gigs. So we'll see what Jack Gordon can do this summer. Look forward to uh, meeting uh, with him and working with him because tin cap season, it's not that far off. Nope, we're, not at all. We're getting a lot closer. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us at 1380thefan.com via the 1380thefan app or your smart speaker and listen in for free on there. Purdue Boilermakers, they're back at Mackey last night. No problem. Uh, Purdue rolls as any doubt about the Boilers' struggles continuing, I think, put to bet. 96-68 well, to 68 win over down, Rutgers. Huh? Absolute uh, demolition of this Scarlet Knights as Purdue rolls Zach Eady with 25 points. Uh, perfect 11 of 11 from the line. Cam Heidi comes off the bench Career high 18, 17 for Lance Jones, 13 for Braden Smith as the Boilers get it done. What did we say yesterday? We said Purdue needs to come out and just dominate Rutgers from the jump. And it was back and forth for the first seven, eight minutes. And then Purdue just went on a run, led by 19 at halftime. Just a thorough domination. They could have won this game by 40 if they wanted to. 
And it's exactly what Purdue needed to do at home against an inferior opponent and just show their dominance after a couple games of struggles. And it's exactly what Purdue did. Zach Eady, a huge game, Braden Smith, Lance Jones. And uh, it was a, it was a good performance. Limited Rutgers to 22 total rebounds for the game. 22. Just uh, astounding. Purdue shoots 58% from the field, 52% from three, 90% from the free throw line. It was just a, a, a good get right game for Purdue in all respects for everybody except Fletcher Lawyer. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that coming up in, in hour number two. But uh, Kim Heidi displayed perhaps why the, the Boilers maybe have a lot of pieces. Like We've talked about this before, especially I know off air, but like Caleb First is a starter on most other Big Ten teams, right? And he comes off the bench and, and spells Zach Eady from time to time. You have Cam Heidi, who's got a lot of athleticism. Miles Colvin, same deal, more raw, right? Because he's only a freshman. But there Lisa are Gillis. yeah, I mean, I, there are so many guys. Matt Matt Painter has just a, a it's it's ridiculous how much depth this team has, and so that's going to be something we'll watch moving forward. Is you know who gets minutes in these games and and who's stepping up coming off the bench because that could be as much of the storyline as how you know Zach Eady and the starters are performing, especially in March. Well, and that's the thing too because I know like for some Purdue fans, and we'll talk about Fletcher Lawyer in the second hour. the the easy The easy solution is saying, well, you you bench Fletcher Lawyer and have him come off the bench, but do you want to change the dynamic of having some of those other guys come off the bench? Is Cam Heidi? the best when he's coming off the bench is Mason Gillis at his best when he's coming off the bench. So it's a two way street is it's easy to say that Fletcher lawyer is not performing, uh, take him out of the starting lineup, but is, is Cam Heidi going to be as effective in the starting lineup as opposed to being off the bench? I, I, I don't know. And, and, and maybe that's something that Matt Painter definitely has thought about, but you have, have, have to get Fletch going somehow. And this is put to doubt really any hangover after the Ohio State loss. And more importantly for Purdue, they now have a two and a half game lead over the Illini in the Big Ten standings with what, just four games remaining. So for Purdue, really edging closer and closer to sealing things up here. Yeah, it's, it's all but over in the Big Ten, which we presumed was going to be the case when the Big Ten started. But uh, they'll be on national television this weekend at Michigan. And uh, Purdue at Michigan. We'll be moved because we have a, a conflict with Purdue Fort Wayne. So Purdue at Michigan will be on WoWo 92.3 FM on Sunday. Pre-game Ooh. at 1, tip at 2 o'clock. So again, 92.3 if you want to listen to the Purdue game coming up on Sunday afternoon. And three of Purdue's final four regular season games on national television. You got CBS this weekend and then Fox games against Michigan State and Wisconsin. The Michigan State one should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State has been playing much better of late. Um, until lost to until Iowa. Until lost week. to Iowa uh, at home. But um, we'll see. I mean, that's a, I think, does Michigan State play Ohio State after that Purdue game on CBS? I know they s- still have to play Indiana. I think that's the final game of the season. Yeah, but I think this weekend... This on Sunday, it is a, a, a Double CBS doubleheader with Purdue, Michigan, and then Michigan and State, Ohio State after that. So you can see you can see the both of them. Absolutely. Coming up on the other side, 
Daniel Jeremiah had some interesting comments on the Colts in the draft, who he thinks could land in Indy. This will make Colts fans very happy. That's next. Caleb, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Little Sugar Ray here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Text rolling in at 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Uh, one to get to on Purdue. Keep Heidi fresh if he plays like that every game consistently. May not need lawyer to do anything since he's not doing anything now. We'll have more on that discussion coming up uh, about 8 o'clock or so. Because that is a, a growing thing for the fan base. And it's, it's it kind of puts us in an awkward spot, right? Because we like Fletcher Lawyer. Oh, we love he's a Fletch, Fort Wayne local kid. dude, yeah. Um, but the results have not been there for the month of February. You, no one can deny that. No, we'll, it's... we'll see what Matt Painter does. I don't think necessarily, though, benching him is the move. And we'll get to that bit later on yes uh, but once again yesterday just non-existent in terms of even shooting the ball just two shot attempts both from beyond the arc and both missed I, and i would i would say don't read as much into that because it's a game that's a you know a blowout right sure true but it just seems like he's not even part of the like i don't know if it's that's the way that Purdue's playing right now or there's no confidence there, or they're not giving Fletch enough opportunities, because he's never been a dude that has shied away from shooting. He's an electric shooter from the outside. Like, Why is it that Purdue can't get him more shots? Are they not wanting him to take more shots? Is Fletcher being passive in terms of getting shots? I, I don't know the answer, but it is concerning, because we said, well, okay, freshman wall, we knew Braden... Smith and Fletcher Lawyer were going to hit it last year. Braden Smith looks perfectly fine. Luckily, you have Lance Jones this year. But is Fletcher Lawyer kind of running out of gas at the wrong time, similar to last season? That's the way it looks, right? That's the way it's been trending for some time. We'll see, though, how it plays out, um, especially with the Big Ten tournament. You know that At some point, we think Matt Painter will make some sort of move, and uh, we'll get to that 8 o'clock, what he should do. Regarding that situation. Meanwhile, the Colts all getting set. Justin, we're like a week and a half away from the combine. Can you believe that? We are indeed. In fact, actually, no, just a week away from the combine. And the so, season just uh, never stops. No, it? no, it does not. And Daniel Jeremiah had his annual uh, conference call with the media talking about the NFL draft. And here's what he had to say on Brock Bowers to the Colts. He's a top 10 player in the draft. I would not rule it out that he somehow winds up in Indy. Reminds me of George Kittle and a Dallas Clark body, similar in how you'd use Clark. If Kittle Clark had a baby, it'd be Bowers. Something I don't want to picture. Yeah, no, okay. not not necessarily in <laughs> part. But as far as Brock Bowers to the Colts, I know this is a guy that a lot of Colts fans have their eyes on, rightfully so, because uh, Brock Bowers is an immediate upgrade in the tight end room. And and you know a lot of people saying, well, you already have like a bunch of guys at tight end, but. As always in the draft, if you have a, a guy you can draft who you believe is an immediate upgrade over your current room, you go for it. That's just how it works. That's making your roster better, right? And so the Colts have that opportunity with Brock Bowers. Now, I tend to doubt, and I've seen different things. Like his his current mock as the Colts taking Clemson corner Nate Wiggins at 15. Which, um, with Brock Bowers still on the board, by the way. Yeah, which... Which is odd. I there's talk of him falling and that's why that he has Brock Bowers further back 
on the board at the moment. But again, we haven't even had the combine. That's yet, my thing. So. I love these this this pre combine talk about guys maybe on the decline. Is it just uh, is it teams trying to start that narrative to try to get him to draw? You don't know, but I I will be surprised if he's there at fifteen for the Indianapolis Colts. If he's there, there's no excuse to not take him. Yes. And, and here's the thing that I find funny. He calls him a top 10 player in the draft, but has him falling, what, to, to 18 yeah, to, the going to the Bengals? Yeah, to the Bengals at 18. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> make that make sense to me. Now, granted, the conference call came after the, the mock draft, the, the latest one that I saw. So there's probably an updated one every week. Um, but this is a, a perfect scenario. You look at what the Colts had production-wise at tight end last season and combined with Kylan Granson, Will Mallory, Mo Cox, and Andrew Ogletree, 70 catches, 883 yards, six touchdowns. Um, if you get a Brock Bowers to put up those numbers, he's one of the best tight ends in the league right away. You know, with the Indianapolis Colts, is they're just traditionally not a team that's aggressive in the first round in terms of trading up. We see them a lot in the in the second round, beyond mid rounds, trading picks. Right, uh, we saw that. Um, in day two of the NFL draft last year with the Colts moving back a couple spots to in the second round and adding an extra pick in what the fourth or fifth round. Like those are kind of the trades that we're used to Indianapolis doing. They're not really that franchise that, at least up to this point, under Chris Ballard, that targets a specific player in the draft and says, We are going to trade up to get that player. Could Brock Bowers be that player? If you get around to 12, 13, and Brock Bowers is still there, do the Colts make a play to move up three spots, four spots, something like that, to make sure they get Brock Bowers? Will they be that aggressive? Or would the Indianapolis Colts going, eh, we'll just wait. If he's there, that's great. Um, and if not, we'll take a corner or whatever. Are the Indianapolis Colts going to be aggressive enough? Do they like Brock Bowers enough, and maybe not necessarily now, but after the Combine, and interviews and all that stuff. Will they like Brock Bowers enough to say, you know what, we're willing to trade a second or, or and or a third to move up three or four spots to ensure we get what could be a generational talent at the position? Well, and someone texting in at four six eight six two, CK Bowers makes too much sense, which means Ballard won't do it. Look, Ballard is a best player available guy. So if Brock Bowers is available, obviously they'll take him. But I'd be stunned if Brock Bowers is available at 15. He'd have to really tank either in the interviews or the combine or the pro day process, I think, to fall much outside the top 10. Then again, you look at the teams that are picking in the uh, in the high teens, and it's Minnesota, and they have a they have TJ Hawkinson. Um, so you wouldn't think that they're taking it. Plus, they have to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. You have Denver. What are they going to do at quarterback? So they could potentially take a QB at 13. You have the Raiders. They need a quarterback. And then you have the Saints. So you're looking at the team slightly above Indianapolis. You say they probably have different priorities, whether they have an elite tight end already in, the, in, in Minnesota or teams that need a quarterback and saying maybe there's opportunity that he does slip that far. But you can't just hope and pray that he does drop to 15 if the Indianapolis Colts want a difference maker offensively, and, and we've talked about it ad nauseum about getting the best possible skill position group around your quarterback, you have to go after Brock Bowers, especially if you settle for Michael Pittman Jr. 
and you don't make an upgrade at wide receiver. You damn well better make an upgrade at tight end. Well, and, and you're not going to be in position to get Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Probably no, not even not in Roma position Dunza. to get uh, a Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunza either. So, and someone's saying, uh, you know, texting in LO, move off for a tight end. Well, if he's the best player available, yes. And the Colts have obvious needs at tight end. You, you can argue the Colts have obvious needs at almost every position group. You feel good at running back. Like, yeah, you'll need some depth there because I don't think Zach Moss is getting re-signed. Um, you feel good at quarterback in terms of your starter, at least to see what he can do. And then you'll need a backup there, but you're not drafting a quarterback. So tight end, secondary, defensive line, you can always upgrade. Offensive line, you can always upgrade. But if Brock Bowers is available, I mean, this is a, a guy that looks to be a generational talent at that position. To be fair, said the same thing about Kyle Pitts a few years ago. Not necessarily played out that way just yet. And I know people will say, well, you know, you look at the secondary and that uh, personally, I would like the Colts to get older in the secondary. I don't think taking another young corner, another young defensive back is the best move for Indianapolis. I would like them to bring in a couple guys that have experience. that could be leaders on that back end as opposed to another talent that they have to develop. I know they can get a top talent at 15. You look at uh, corners that are in the class with Terry on Arnold from Alabama uh, was it Nate Wiggins at Clemson? Cooper DeJean from Iowa. So there's some some solid dudes out there. I just I, I don't know if if um if if a already young position group benefits from another young player as much as what you could get with a Brock Bowers. But it would make it would be a decidedly different approach for Indianapolis to be aggressive in the first round to say we have targeted a specific player and we're going to trade up to get him because that's just not what Chris Ballard does for better or for worse. Yeah, he, he's not. It's not really a criticism. It's just that he doesn't do it. No, that's that's not been his M.O. in, in terms of drafting, in terms of the talking first round. That's not what he's done. Uh, someone else saying Colts have needs everywhere, including a new GM. Uh, I will say this. This upcoming season should be, assuming Anthony Richardson can stay healthy enough, right, to get some sort of gauge, this should be the the season that Chris Ballard's job is evaluated. He bought himself some time with Gardner Minshew stepping in, right, and, and getting the Colts to the cusp of the AFC South Division title. But at some point, you got to deliver if you're Ballard. Yeah, and, and granted... We're not as harsh on him after last season as some people still are, but I get it. It's a he bought himself one year. He bought himself one year, but you know, for some people that are like, you know, tight end, why are you targeting tight end? It's not a coincidence that the two teams that met in the Super Bowl have the top two tight ends in football, and Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, and then the teams that played in the conference championship games. Mark Andrews is a top five tight end. Sam, Sam Laporta. Laporta has developed into a top five yeah. tight end. Okay. So that's not a coincidence, people. Tight end is every bit as important, especially if you have a matchup nightmare of a tight end for your offense. And Brock Bowers fits that mold and could maybe perhaps be around when the Colts are picking or close to it. Does Chris Ballard change his approach to previous years and say, you know what, we're going after a generational tight end prospect because you have to take into account what the position looks like for the top teams in the NFL and who's manning those positions. Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, Laporta. 
I mean, Dallas Goddard in in Philly. Uh, what David Njoku with Cleveland and his breakout, right? So there's evidence to say that a top tight end pays off. Are the Colts willing to do that? Or are they still going to settle with four or five average tight ends? A lot of the playoff teams all have a, a top 10, top 12 level tight end on their team from last season. Colts, Colts are lucky are, to have a top 25 Yeah, tight end. well, they don't have one because they have four. Yeah. If you combine their stats, yeah, it looks good. But the, the reality is you have four different guys who are getting playing time, and it's just it's kind of hard to know. And That doesn't even include Jelani Woods, who was out last season. So you have five guys when it comes to tight end. So you just, you got to find a way to narrow that room down. And I think Brock Bowers is, is the answer to that. And look, we were on the CJ Stroud train last year. So it's, it's not like our track record is awful. Granted we're, we're one for one yeah. on this show. We won't talk about all the misses, <laughs> yeah. but you know, and, you know, people saying, Oh, the Colts have a lot of holes. They don't really have a lot of holes. I mean, secondary feels like a hole. They need to improve. Every every NFL team needs to improve. But this team didn't get to nine and eight purely because of Gardner Minshew and smoke and mirrors. Okay, there's talent on this roster, and that's what we said even after the the four twelve and one season, right? I mean, it was they had a lot of games that were just anomalies, uh, blowing fourth quarter leads being uh, one of the one of the issues with that team for years. You know, for but I think maybe the 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 big question for the Indianapolis Colts and. We don't have the answer, and you ask 10 fans, and they'll have 10 different opinions. Is Are the Colts, have they reached a point where they have to, instead of just stockpiling picks and taking the best player at each position and overall upgrading the talent on the roster, have they gotten to a point where they can start keying on individual players that they want? That would be the case with Brock Bowers. Or is Chris Ballard still going to be the safe route guy and just be like, yeah, you know what, we're just going to try to maximize picks. We'll trade down if we can to get more picks stockpile talent, et cetera, et cetera, and develop talent. Because that's you, that's the Chris Ballard mold. That's the MO, right? He likes to draft players. He likes to develop players. He likes to re-sign his own players. We'll see that with Michael Pittman Jr. It would be a significant shift for Chris Ballard to say, you know what? We're in a position where I'm going to sacrifice a couple picks to move up a couple spots to get an impact player. But at least with Brock Bowers, he checks the traits box, which Ballard absolutely loves. He does. We'll see what happens next week at the Combine. Of course, the interview process, all that stuff, and the, the rampant rumors that come out of that both pre and post, and we'll see where the Indianapolis Colts land. I, I, but to me, it's still tough to see Brock Bowers going any lower than 12. I would agree. I would fully agree with that. I don't think he's going to drop into the teens. Because what we talked about with tight ends and the top teams having top tight ends, every team in the NFL sees that. All 32 teams recognize that, okay? And Brock Bowers is, at least for this class, that guy that could be that dude. Coming up on the other side, the NCAA remains focused on the important stuff. What you can and can't do now on recruiting visits. This is just ridiculous. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. All 90s all the time here on a Friday. Oh, you know it. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Just put in CK before your message. Uh, Someone texting in, uh, wrapping up the Colts conversation. Indy is quickly turning into a place where careers stall and don't take off, much like Cleveland. I don't know. Cleveland made the playoffs, so (laughs) 
Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> I'm gonna push back on that. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought the Colts had a really darn good season for what the preseason expectations were, and listeners of us texting in saying they're going to be lucky to win three games, four right? games. We recognize the dumpster fire that it was last season. I mean, to turn from from what they were last year to go nine and eight. I have a hard time throwing the Colts under the bus for a lot of things, let alone Chris Ballard. I mean, granted, he needs to be better year in and year out, but I thought it was a significant step forward for the Indianapolis Colts. Well, and we, it's kind of it's kind of hard to judge the season because we went into it thinking Anthony Richardson's QB one the whole time, and then obviously he gets hurt a few games in. You bring in Gardner Minshew, much more capable quarterback in terms of experience, but not in terms of raw talent. And he leads them to a nine and eight record. Now, we went into the season with our you know four five win predictions with Anthony Richardson as, as QB one. So that's also a kind of a different thing. If he was QB one, are they winning four five six games? Probably. Probably. I I think the Colts are in a unique situation to where they can have a under five hundred record next year, yet you will feel more confident about their future than you do right now, because it's still a question mark right now. But if the Colts go seven and 10 next year and Anthony Richardson shows traits of being a QB one in this league for the next decade, you feel really good about the Indianapolis Colts going forward. But the problem is the media is not going to afford the Colts that opportunity because the expectation, which I think is going to be entirely unfair that the Colts continue to win the division. Yeah. And I just, I don't think that's realistic if Anthony Richardson is your QB1 throughout. The, I mean, he's essentially starting over his rookie season. Well, and I think too, as people see CJ Stroud at Houston say, hey, look what Houston did. That, that you know, that should be, that's the exception to the rule. CJ Stroud was one of the most experienced and talented quarterbacks in that draft. And while there is talent with Anthony Richardson, there is significant lack of experience comparatively to CJ Stroud. So, for Indianapolis and people say, well, you know, players don't develop there and all that stuff. And okay. But I thought there was a lot to like about the Indianapolis Colts this past season, but the biggest question still remains, of course, and that's Anthony Richardson. And, uh, more questions regarding the NCAA. Uh, this is absurd. So remember they got rid of the photo shoots for recruits on, on visits for, for official visits. Now, Rules have come down. Schools are no longer allowed to decorate hotel rooms for recruits for their official visits. <laughs> okay. And, and No, here's the kicker. Okay. Oh, there's more. Also, cookie cakes and snacks must be handed to recruits in the lobby. Not in, in the room, but you have to hand them in the lobby. Who's monitoring that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, are you going to have to bring, like, an NCAA enforcement person on, on like every... Keeping an eye on where the cookies you are know, being... picking up the hotel, yeah. uh, picking up the recruit at the hotel for the visit and make sure, oh, sorry, you can't hand them to them in the room. It's got to be in the lobby. Oh, man, oh, man. It's just, uh, why are they so focused on yeah, these I don't little know. things? I don't understand. Like, it's laughable. Oh, sorry, we can't hand you your cookie cake in your, your room. Yeah, you're so going to have to come out to the lobby. You have to come down with this downstairs... And then we'll hand it to you, and then you can either go back up to your room, or we'll hand it to you, and then we'll just continue on with the visit. <laughs> this is really silly. I mean, it's the things that don't matter that yeah. they're, they're focusing on. I mean, recruiting visits are all about, of course, you know, showcasing the, the campus and the program and the facilities and meeting the coaches and, 
And quite frankly, sometimes it comes down to how pretty your ambassador, your recruiting ambassador is, because you can bet that that's a strategy that plenty of programs use. The hotter the recruiting ambassadors they can put with these players, the better chance they have of landing them. It's not anything to do about when they're, where they're getting their cookies. Silly NCAA. Yeah. And this all going on with, of course, everyone predicting doom and gloom for college athletics because of NIL. And I don't know if you saw Adam Schefter's tweet uh, they had the other day talking about, you know, coaches going to the NFL. And it's like, okay, he, he was one being a little disingenuous, right? Because he's got his sources. And I find it funny that the the conversation, oh, all these college coaches are going to the NFL now because of NIL. And it's like, well, if you could get a job, they would pay more and you don't have to do as much work, a.k.a. take out the recruiting. You'd probably take it, too. Now, granted, coaching college football, some coaches prefer that, right? They, they would rather work with young men and, and shaping them beyond just the, the game of football, right? Beyond just right. coaching the game of football. There are other things at play as far as, you know, maybe like a personal mission for some of these coaches. Also, the fact that there's a lot less pressure, a lot more job security in college football. Yes, coaches get hired and fired, but compared to the NFL, there's a lot more job security, a lot less pressure. Well, we've said it before in terms of uh, an all-year-round job and high stakes, high pressure all year round. There is nothing bigger in football, regardless of level, than a college football coach. Because it's not just, uh, you know, right now the offseason in the NFL, most coaches are handing off personnel decisions to the front office. Yeah. They're in those discussions, but you have your GM and your, your, your president of football operations and all that stuff and your scouts. and They're doing a lot of the legwork right now. But there are no breaks for college football coaches, okay? So... You get, I mean, you go from the season to recruiting to visits to NIL to schmoozing uh, and, and really kissing. I mean, imagine all the, the ass kissing you have to do as a college football coach. You have to do it to teenagers, which is gross. You have to do it with teenagers' parents. And you have to do it with, you have to schmooze your, your, your donors, uh, you know, snaky people. And you're just trying to get money out of them. You know, some of them are snaky, not saying all of them. Like, there's a lot of crap you have to deal with as a college football coach. Of course, the NFL is going to look better because, like you said, a lot less pressure, a lot less um, putting on fake smiles and kissing butts and all that stuff. I, I get it. I don't think the NIL is this, all of a sudden, this this giant issue that's pushing people to the NFL. I think just the stresses of being a college football coach where you have to be on 24-7, 365. Well, the one advantage, though, that the college is going to have is that if you're a coach, you're your own GM, right? And so you have total control of building your roster. Which is good or bad, because there's nobody else to blame. True. What do we talk about with, with the Indianapolis Colts? They're, they're Chris Ballard, you could always point to Chris Ballard as being the, being the problem. There's no Chris Ballard at Alabama or Notre Dame. There's no GM, right? You are the boss. There's nobody else to blame. And that could be a lot of pressure. And for some people that are like, you know, I'm over it. I wanted to go to the NFL where more often than not, probably going to get uh, paid more unless you're at the upper echelon of college football and maybe a lot less day-to-day stress. It's still stressful, but we're not talking about all the time. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think each has their own positives and negatives. To frame it like college coaches are leaving in droves to the NFL is simply not true. Agreed. I, I think there have been 23 this offseason going from college jobs to NFL jobs, and last offseason it was 28 that in perspective so it's not like it's up significantly that's been the narrative though because it's been high profile people moving around or higher profile people also again the recruiting aspect you control your roster that like you said that can be a positive or a negative but for a lot of college head coaches they crave and, and want control and that's why they i think don't work in the nfl because someone else is controlling your personnel in college you're controlling your personnel so I and, think that that's yeah. the thing, and but the, that doesn't change the fact that the NCAA still continues with ridiculous rules that aren't addressing the problems that are at play right now. Well, it's funny because you say, well, the NCAA has issues, and then you look at the college football playoff that you know wants to expand from twelve to fourteen teams, even though they haven't even played a single season with the twelve-team format yet. It's purely a money grab. You can't say, oh, well, there was issues that came up you know, last year with the twelve-team. Like you haven't even played yet with the twelve-team playoff, so. Yeah, they're all each trying to one-up each other in terms of ineptitude, it feels like. Coming up on the other side, Cam Heidi's game last night gives Purdue coach Matt Painter no choice, or does it? Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you coming up this hour on the show. Cam Heidi's game last night gives Matt Painter no choice, or does it? Plus... Major League Baseball has a pants problem. We'll get to that. And Derek Decker will join us to preview the IHSAA Girls 2A and 3A State Finals coming up tomorrow afternoon at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Bishop Lures in the 2A title game. Uh, they will take on Brownstown Central tip at approximately 1245. Derek Decker on the call for that game. And then Norwell and Gibson Southern 6 o'clock tip in the 3A state title game on the girls' side. Josh Williams on the call for that. Well, both games for you here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. And before we leave you at the end of the week, Japan's Naked Man Festival ends after a thousand years. Wow. We'll tell you why. Not what you would expect. Thousand years of male nudity coming to an end. (laughs) The horror. So we'll get to all that. 46862, as always, how you reach us on the text line, accepting your questions, your comments, your rants. Uh, someone ranting about uh, indie media, too kind to the Colts. Seems Fort Wayne is the same now. This team and its leadership should be under way more scrutiny than they get. This is year seven of Ballard. We're still talking about sub-500 records as benchmarks of success. I, I get where the texture is coming from, for sure. I think it's a, a, a wait-and-see thing. I think if Ballard, if the Indianapolis Colts can show that they finally got the quarterback situation right next season, even if that means a step back in terms of wins and losses, that's the most important thing. I agree. But again, as I'm I'm warning you all now, the expectation for the Colts next season is to win, you know, nine, 10 plus games and make a wild card spot and or win the division. I just don't think that's realistic. I don't see it. I think they're but the that's, third that's best. what the pressure is going yeah. to be. Unless people they, are going to overreact, even though Anthony Richardson had so little to do with the wins and losses last season, unless they just have a outstanding off season and hit in the draft and bring in some big time free agents and uh, you, know, you look at, if, could they land like a T Higgins or something like that? A Mike Evans, like you've mentioned, uh, if they upgrade uh, up front on both sides of the football, 
if they bring back the right dudes, if they get a Brock Bowers, all those things go right, you can make a case for a potential division championship. But this team right now, as they're built, the third best team in the division. Yeah, I I agree. Now, there's not a lot of separation between those three teams, but they're still third best. And and still, you got to look at Tennessee as maybe a year ahead of you in the sense that they feel they know where they're going with Will Levis. Because Will Levis got double the amount of playing time, double the amount of starts that Anthony Richardson did. So in terms of on schedule, I mean, this is the thing. When you look at quarterback, Indianapolis is, in my opinion, in the most uncertain situation at quarterback in the entire AFC South. C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, and Will Levis. And then you have Indianapolis. And Anthony, I'm not saying Anthony Richardson is the fourth best quarterback of those four. I'm saying it's the most uncertain situation of the four in the division. But that also buys them the most time. Well, uh, to you and I, but other people won't see it that way. Don't forget, you can always download the 1380 The Fan app. Listen on your phone on the go. That is free. Listen on the stream at 1380thefan.com or on your smart speaker. That's free as well. Uh, Alexa. And I'm sorry if I already screwed up people listening because apparently me me saying it, Alexa, uh, what what the Echo Echo Dot, the Echo Dot, yeah, um, sure. That that's all I know about smart speakers. Yeah, neither of us have smart speakers. We're, we're not experts, but I know you can listen on there. I mean, I walk into my brother's house in Colorado, and he's like talking to who knows who's <laughs> listening in each room. Lights are turning on, lights are turning yeah, off, I, music's I just, playing. All the time. I can't it's chaos. I can't with the the talking to gadgets. I just I can't I, do it. I can't. I I refuse. Uh, like, no, I'm not going to talk to a, a little box. No, especially like to turn lights on and off. Yeah. Like just, yeah. Yeah, I, no, I prefer I a switch. That. Yeah, let alone <laughs> the, the smart speakers. But yeah. anyway, for those that are listening on smart speaker, we appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Uh, because a lot more people listen on smart speaker than we would have guessed when we saw the numbers. Yeah, last time uh, we saw those, we were like, whoa, really? In, in December. So we appreciate it. All right. So Purdue gets a blowout win last night and they take care of business against Rutgers. Cam Heidi, outstanding career high. 18 points in this game. Boilers win. This game was really not close after the first seven, eight minutes. And Purdue takes care of business. Now, the ultimate conversation outside of, obviously, the blowout itself was Cam Heidi's performance. Career high, 18, 7-7 from the field, 4-4 from three. He was outstanding in 19 minutes off the bench. Um, the, the question, and people are already calling for, you, know, you start Cam Heidi, move away from a three-guard lineup, get a little bit more size with Heidi, and replace Heidi into the starting lineup with Fletcher Lawyer, who had just two points, two of two from the free throw line. He did have five assists, 0 of two, though, from the field, 0 of two from three, and his, his dismal February continues. We charted the numbers earlier this week as far as him being key and, and something that Purdue's got to figure out and he's got to figure out, but when you look at it from three-point range this month, he is now one of seven from three. I don't know what's more concerning, the fact that he's only made one three or the fact that he's only shot seven. Right? Away. I mean, both are concerning. Yeah. Here's the thing is Cam Heidi's performance last night was great. 18 points in 19 minutes. Perfect from the field. Four or four from three. That's great. But it's one game. Okay? So in the previous nine games prior to last night, I'm counting up here. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, previous nine games, he's had 12 points total. So one game can't dictate and won't dictate 
Matt Painter's decision-making. Cam Heidi, great game last night, coming off the bench. But you can't logically say, just because of last night, that Cam Heidi should be in the starting lineup. Because it's a flash in the pan. It's an Anthony Leal-type situation with Indiana, where Anthony Leal finally had that quote-unquote breakout game, and everybody thought, okay, that's going to be the expectation now for Anthony Leal. Well, we saw how that worked out. So Cam Heidi is not going to give you these types of performances game in and game out. If we see it the rest of the season, and he's not going to have 18 points in 19 minutes the rest of the way, but if he can average six, eight points a game down the stretch, then that would be phenomenal for Purdue. But I just don't know if Purdue right now, getting back to Fletcher Lawyer, are they really in a position that they have to make a move? Well, yeah. and I, I think that's really what it comes down to is Cam Heidi does this off the bench in one game. Like you said, it's great. How does he perform as a starter? That completely changes, you know, how he plays. Same with Fletcher Lawyer. If if he were to come off the bench, there is a reason why Matt Painter's not made a move, I guess is my point. And you look at Purdue's bench, you have Heidi, you have first, you have Gillis, who's the most consistent of the, the bench scoring guys. You occasionally have Miles Colvin chip in. You have Ethan Morton. Those are the guys getting the bulk of the minutes right off the bench. And to be fair, you're not even seeing all those guys every game. Like Colvin isn't playing necessarily every game. Um, of that group, Mason Gillis, Ethan Morton, and Caleb First are getting the most minutes. And as far as scoring, it's usually Gillis leading that group night in, night out. And so I think it's something to monitor but I don't think, and I, and I get it, Purdue fans are already saying, oh, pull the trigger. There's a reason why Fletcher Lawyer is starting and starting over Cam Heidi, right? It's not just about how you're playing the games. It's about how you're practicing, how you go about everything. And I think, yes, he has struggled this month, but I don't think you let, what what is it now, five games, six games in right. February completely dictate what you're going to do moving forward. I think maybe the bigger thing is, is, is who's the ideal fit in the lineup if you take Fletcher Lawyer out of it. Cam Heidi is not that guy. No, you're, it'd you're, probably be Ethan Morton, right? Who yeah. started a lot uh, last year, early on. You're not, and Cam Heidi's performance, again, was great last night. You're not thrusting a redshirt freshman that has never started a game in his college career into the starting lineup in late February with a team that has Final Four aspirations. You're just not doing it. No right-minded head coach is going to do it. It may sound good for fans to say it, but it is not the right move. And one see, well, even one game, as good as it looked, Cam Heidi has zero experience starting for this team. So that's not happening. You can make a case if you say Ethan Morton, uh, potentially. But Purdue still won 10 of their last 11 games. Okay, Even with the struggles of Fletcher Lawyer the last half dozen or so games. Like this is not a team that all of a sudden has lost three and four or, you know, four of six or something. And they have to find something to jumpstart it. Like Purdue's fine. And I think the, any move has a bigger chance of backfiring in terms of changing the lineup than it does taking Purdue to another level. Now, could we see a situation where Fletcher Lawyer does start, but plays less minutes than somebody off the bench? Yeah. Yeah, and I think maybe that's the natural progression we have here. I, I mean, you look at Trey Kaufman, right? He starts, but he frequently doesn't finish with as many minutes on the court as somebody off the bench. But just because you start doesn't mean those are the guys with the five most minutes played in an entire game. So I, I don't mess with anything right now. You just you hope 
Fletcher Lawyer comes out of it, maybe in these last couple games, maybe you you have some an offensive game plan where you're trying to get Fletch shots and be like, well, let's have him shoot out of this because that's the most concerning thing to me is the lack of attempts. Yeah, it's it's not Lawyer. that he's shooting and missing. It's that he's not shooting at all. Like our, de- our defense is playing him different. I know some people have asked Matt Painter that, and I, I'm just not sold on it. And watching Purdue, I'm not, I'm not looking at all of a sudden the focal point of defenses being Zach Eady and Fletcher Lawyer. I think Fletcher Lawyer is a selfless player to the point that sometimes you wish he would be more assertive offensively. He is very much a, I'm going to do what the, what the flow of the offense dictates, and that's great. But sometimes you, you want him to be assertive and take control and maybe launch some shots. But um, he's not that type of kid, and that's a good thing. But I, I could see Matt Painter trying to get him going over the final three, four games of the regular season, getting him some more shots, some more opportunities, and try to turn things around for him. Text coming in at 46862. Heidi seems like a great fit versus bigger teams, but can he stay with fast, small threes? That's another aspect. And, and I guess everyone's going to say, well, Fletcher Lawyer is not a good defender. Yeah, he's not an elite defender, but he's not a detriment either on the court. Like, it's not like he's taking away because his defense is, is subpar. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's almost too like we're, and not just us, but like the collective in terms of people that watch Purdue, finding something that could be an issue because there have been so little issues with this team all year is you look at this particular thing with Fletcher Lawyer and be like, well, Purdue's got to figure this out. Like, uh, they, they've been okay. They, they, they've, have, they, they've been pretty decent, um, even lately with the struggles that Fletcher Lawyer has been going through. Well, and isn't that really part of the, the bigger issue? Grasping at straws to look for anything <laughs> yeah, wrong? I think so. I mean, we, we talked about it this week. Yes, the Ohio State loss was bad, but you got the, the bump with an interim new coach. It was a road game in the Big Ten. I mean, you, you you take away the fact that it was Ohio State, and you're like, yeah, you lost a real game in the Big Ten. Not a big deal, right? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they had a, a bad half against Minnesota. But then last night, everything everything good. Yeah, it helps playing at home, and it's a Rutgers team that is offensively limited. And if you can beat them defensively, they're done. And Purdue was able to do that. So I think it's it's looking for every little thing that's wrong. And I would encourage Purdue fans, and even non-Purdue fans, this top with that kind of attitude. Well, I think what feeds into it, though, is the um, subpar for p- performances of late in the NCAA tournament. Yes. I, I, like That's the only thing feeding into it, though. And, and the fact that, oh my gosh, here is something that is not working, and we're getting closer to the tournament, and Purdue stumbles in the tournament, and oh my gosh, could this be the beginning of another early exit? I think that's kind of maybe dictating some of this conversation both for Purdue fans and Purdue haters is Purdue's one of Purdue's players is showing signs of struggles and are going, well, here we go again. This is where it starts. But it, but it's only one player last year. It was multiple players. They needed to play. Well, David Jenkins was lights out the big 10 tournament. Couldn't, couldn't do anything though. When it mattered uh, against FDU, uh, Braden Smith and Fletcher lawyer had already, long at this point last year been in their slide right it was a team completely reliant on Zach Eady and now the difference is they have a handful of guys Lance Jones Fletcher Lawyer it's not been him late but he's done it earlier this season Braden Smith Zach Eady right uh Mason Gillis 
Cam Heidi last night. Cam Heidi last night. So they have a lot more depth, a lot more guys able to step up. And I don't think what we saw last night is reason enough to just punt on lawyer in the starting lineup and move it to Heidi because Heidi's never shown anything close to this level of consistency on a game to game basis. But despite the struggles for Fletcher lawyer in February, you still have a team that is four and one for the month, five and one for the month, beat Wisconsin on the road, destroyed your rival, uh, beat Minnesota and Rutgers at home. Your only blemish was an Ohio state loss to a team that uh, definitely got a kick in the pants with the firing of Chris Holtman. So despite, you know, the, oh my gosh, Purdue has to make a change in the lineup and have to do this and that. They've been still pretty darn good in February. But again, everyone's going to look for everything that's wrong because of the lack of March success. And to be clear, if Purdue isn't making it to at least the Sweet 16, I'll be eating my words. They Yes, and we've had that conversation before. So And I'll be willing to own it. And, and I think there's a fair amount of Purdue fans that in the back of their mind going, oh gosh, here we go again with Fletcher Lawyer struggles. And I totally understand it because of what's happened in the Riza Bass. Uh, one other text I want to get to. The key to Heidi is if he can draw people away from the middle. Right now, neither Morton nor Lawyer are attracting any defenders. Yeah, because, I mean, Morton's not really a threat offensively, and Lawyer has not been a threat this month offensively from the perimeter. The biggest thing is is Purdue, and it goes for almost every team, you're going to have to hit outside shots in the tournament. And it's going to come to that. And it's it's magnified more so with Purdue because of Zach Eady in the middle. You have to hit shots from the outside. But Fletcher Lawyer right now isn't even taking shots from the outside. Coming up on the other side, Major League Baseball has a pants problem. Yes, a pants problem. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Happy Friday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here with you on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget, if you miss anything in hour number one or earlier this hour, you can always catch up via the podcast. Just look for it on your favorite podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, download it for free. Should be posted up around 10, 30, 11 o'clock each and every morning after the show. So Major League Baseball, Justin, has a pants problem. Hmm. Spring training underway, and the Nike-generated Fanatics produced, which, <laughs> LOL, Fanatics <laughs> has so many quality issues, so I find this hilarious. Uh, the produced uniforms include see-through pants. Ooh. A pants shortage. Some teams are reusing pants from last season right now at spring training, including the Cincinnati Reds. Fit issues. Design quality also all called into question, which leads to the ultimate question. Maybe they need wool uniforms again. Maybe that will fix what's going on. Yeah, maybe. Uh, And just roast in the summer, but... Basically, the, these designs, and there was already issues with the tops because they're kind of, yeah. they went lighter is better, which I totally get and totally understand. But in trying to keep it light, like the, the numbers and names kind of look like Bush League, yeah, yeah. Like comparatively to what they used to be. And it's because of the stretchier fabric. Yes. So I, I get it. But now you have a bigger issue with being able to see through the pants, apparently. Yes. And <laughs> there are some inappropriate photos if, uh, you're so inclined. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm going to refrain from sent, sent one to me talking about the MLB having a pants problem. I was like, yeah, uh, that is a problem. Um, but some teams don't have pants. Other teams that are supposed to be receiving certain things before the start of the year. Uh, others that they don't have any anything in reserve. So it, it is a problem. Uh, and Nike's 10-year contract, again, prior to the 2020 season, but Fanatics has produced Nike's jersey since 2020. 
uh, out of the same Easton, Pennsylvania factory where Majestic, the former supplier, their uniforms were made. Uh, but now the pants have become a problem. Wouldn't if you're making white pants, the first, the, the, the foremost priority would be making sure you can't see through them. Right. But again, it's because it's that stretchier fabric. Yeah, stretchier and lighter, but also see-through. I mean, at the very least, they'll probably see a 40% jump in female fans at games. If these <laughs> uh, see-through pants remain a thing, but uh, yeah, not ideal for... I mean, they're, they're remeasuring pants because they'll, they'll fit fine in one area and then be too tight in another. Like, it's just... It's like trying on clothes, but you would think your uniform wouldn't be a problem going into the season. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. I mean, they got another month left to figure it out, which sounds like a lot of time. But the fact that teams are already struggling with inventory now, like this, this isn't this isn't good. Yeah. Sometimes you you know when you chase the money, which I'm sure Nike threw a hell of a lot of money at Major League Baseball to get this contract after Majestic had it for a while and did a good job. Sometimes you reap the benefits of the money, but on the back end, just not as good as. Uh, as previous. I mean, is it worth it right now for Major League Baseball to be dealing with these issues? Also, you notice the trend that it's always Nike with these weird hmm. problems. Like, remember how Nike got the uh, the swoosh logo and it's backwards on NFL right. uniforms when it, <laughs> and, and they've just kept it that way? Yeah. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, it's just kind of kind of weird. Um, Nike, obviously, with the issues here with the pants for baseball. Like, the Nike, Nike will throw all the money in the world at this stuff, but if they can't produce a, a quality product, maybe the problem's Nike. Yeah, just don't change with what works. I mean, just uh, you know, Nike always tries to be the next, the next bit of technology, the next big thing, and they make billions of dollars because of it. But sometimes you just you don't change. You don't when it doesn't need fixed, you don't change it. Yes, and so that's where we're at. We'll see if the pants problem can get fixed. Or Major League Baseball, but uh, uh, they just want some pants that fit that aren't see-through, aren't which see-through. is, again, is that too not much asking to ask? a lot. Apparently <laughs> in Major League Baseball, it is too much to ask. Coming up on the other side, Derek Decker will join us. He will be on the call for the IHSAA Class 2A state finals game between Bishop Lures and Brownstown Central. Also, He'll preview Norwell in the 3A title game taking on Gibson Southern as we have a doubleheader. Both games on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM, 1245 approximate tip for Lures and 6 p.m. tip for Norwell coming up tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse down in Indy as it is already state finals time for the girls. We'll preview it next with Derek Decker here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Can't believe it's already this time of year, but we're going to have IHSAA state finals, at least for the girls' side, coming up tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse down in Indianapolis. And here to talk with us about it, it is Derek Decker joining us on the guest line. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Thanks a lot for having me on. Absolutely. And Derek, uh, you follow this Norwell team all season. You'll be doing the Bishop Lures uh, game in Class 2A in the morning, tip at approximately 12.45 here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM as Bishop Lures takes on Brownta- Brownstown Central in the first game. Um, so I know, and we'll get to Norwell a bit later on, but with, with Bishop Lures, this has been a, a program that's just had so much success this season, and what is this matchup going to be like with this Brownstown Central squad? Yeah, well, obviously the history plays a factor here, right? Bishop Lures is playing in their 10th 
state championship all time. That is the most of any program in the history of the state. Got six state championships, and it's actually go back 25 years from now, and that is when Lures won their first state title under Gary Andrews. They went 27 and one that year back in 1999. So clearly the history is there. But this is their first trip in a dozen years. Uncharted waters for Mark Sixley and company in his 10th season. Just won his first sectional last year, and then this run going all the way through. But uh, Caleb, this is a big team. I mean, this is this is a group that has some serious post players. They play that two-three zone. That style is difficult to score against. They make it really hard for their opponents to move the basketball around. They force you to shoot it from the perimeter, which could turn out to be pretty good. Now, Brownstown Central is much more of a guard-oriented team. They shoot at a decent percentage from the three-point line, but they're a small team. So if this comes down to a size advantage, and even head coach Brandon Allman for Brownstown Central has said, hey, we've struggled a couple times against taller teams this year. That being said, they did knock out a couple of teams with really good centers along their path in the state tournament. But you could say this is also a matchup of a couple of fairly decent underdogs. Bishop Lewis ranked number 10 in the last 2A poll. Brownstown Central got a few votes, but they were right on the edge of not even getting any votes. So basically, you're talking about an unranked team and one right on the edge of playing in the state finals. So all in all, two teams that are very happy to be there, and I think it matches up really well on Saturday afternoon for a really fun game. Derek, how hard is it, I think, for people across the state to judge lures just because of the unique conference setting that they're in playing, you know, 3A, 4A, 5A, and even, you know, 6A schools on football side, 3A and 4A on the basketball side. How much of a factor do you think that plays in every year with lures? And we know it does in football and, and certainly here on the girls' basketball side. Yeah, records are always misleading. You can almost always toss the records out the window. I mean, you talk about a lures team that took down Columbia City earlier in the year. And I know. A lot of folks will say, well, they didn't win a sectional, blah, blah, blah. You know, Columbia City was one of the best teams in the area, no question, and throughout the entire state, almost the entire way. I mean, you think about it, their two losses in the regular season were Norwell at home by one and in overtime to this Bishop Lewis team. Both of those teams are playing in the state finals on Saturday. And then, of course, they lost to Homestead in the sectional, um, and, so, and Homestead made it to the semi-state last week. So Lewis has a great resume. There are a couple of weird losses on there. You know, they kind of got outpaced by Snyder and, and Northrop, but as you mentioned, you know, those are bigger schools inside the SAC. So their record is kind of misleading. They are tried and tested every single year when they head into the tournament. There's no question ever about the schedule strength just inside a conference. But Coach Pixley schedules well outside the conference, too. They had a home-and-home home that they started last year. They went down to Hamilton Heights back in December, who played Norwell in the semi-state last week. So, again, the schedule strength is a big deal for this Lures team, and they certainly have an advantage in that department as well come Saturday. Derek Decker joining us. He'll be on the call for the IHSAA Girls 2A State Final coming up tomorrow, 1245, approximate tip at Gamebridge Fieldhouse down in Indianapolis. Bishop Lures playing for another state championship as they take on Brownstown Central. Now, you mentioned Brownstown Central. They were kind of on the on the edge of the polls. They struggled down the stretch of the regular season, losing four of their last seven. Obviously, they put it together this postseason, though. What do you know about this team, and, and what should people look out for with the Braves? Well, again, it is uh, kind of mirroring styles defensively, right? you got both teams that are likely going to play a fair share of 2-3 zones. Sometimes you have to do that when you're an undersized team. That's what Brownstown's going to try to do. So they're going to force Lures to shoot it from three most of the game. And again, Lures is not a terrific three-point shooting team, right around 26% as a group for the season. So that could work out to Brownstown Central's advantage. Now, where they differ in styles, they are a much more deliberate team in the half court. 
This is not a group that likes to play a ton in transition. Now, they can play up-tempo if necessary. Um, they've had a few instances of success in select games throughout the season. But for the most part, this is a group that wants to control the tempo. They want to keep the game in the 40s. They average 49 points a game. Not oftentimes do you see a team like that reach the state finals given the play style. You know, their, their average margin of victory on the season was plus six. They played in a ton of close games. And they played a pretty good conference, too. That Mid-Southern Conference is what they're out of. That in, included a Scottsburg, who played in the semi-state last week in 3A. They were undefeated in that league. They ended up winning the championship. But, again, the, the key for this Brownstown Central team, number one, balanced scoring. They've got a few kids that can shoot the ball well from three. Again, they're going to take good shots. They are going to be patient in the half court. So pace is going to be a big deal in this game. If Brownstown Central is able to dictate the pace, they're going to have a good chance to win. And, and for Lures, if they're able to get out and run early in the game, set an up-tempo kind of style, then I think that, that style favors the Knights, no question. Another potential advantage for Bishop Lures is uh, Brownstown Central doesn't go very tall. The tallest starter that they will have on the floor is Sophie Wishmeyer, the fresh or the, excuse me, the sophomore forward. Meanwhile, when you look at the top players for Bishop Lures, Addie Shank uh, is six foot. Uh, Miley, Miley Waring, the sophomore, is six foot two. Both of them average double digits in scoring. They combine for almost seventeen rebounds per game. When we look at maybe a potential advantage for Bishop Lures. I think you have to look in the post, don't you, Derek? Oh, absolutely. I, I, you, you hit it right on the head there. We were kind of talking about that. You know, Addie Shank is the first player in program history to go over 1,000 points and 800 rebounds. She's had just a tremendous career for Bishop Lures. Uh, the, the one thing I will say where the, the size can be just a little bit misleading, Brownstown Central played in the state championship in volleyball this past fall. They have three players on that team that are playing on this basketball team. Yes, they're a smaller group, but they are an athletic group, um, and they can, they can make some plays in the post, but you're absolutely right. Again, talk about setting the tone. If Lures is able to get the ball down low early, you can even create foul trouble and get some of those outstanding guards in a little bit of trouble early in the game. I, I definitely think that's where this game is won or lost. The question is, how good is the ball movement for Lures to get it in there against that tight 2-3 zone that Brownstown Central is going to play? Derek Decker joining us. He'll be on the call again for Bishop Lures at Brown Sound Central, 1245 tip tomorrow. Meanwhile, you follow this Norwell girls team all season long. They'll tip at 6 o'clock. Josh Williams will be on the call for that for us here on 1380 The Fan coming up tomorrow night. But Norwell and Gibson Southern in the 3A game, I think the key word for this matchup is offense. Oh, absolutely. Um, of all the games that have a potential of being a real old-fashioned shootout at GameBridge on Saturday. This is the one. These are the two best offenses by scoring average that are still left in the tournament. Both schools are averaging over 65 points a game. It would be a program record, by the way, for Norwell, unless they completely, you know, they they have like a 30-point game in a state championship, which you never know. Sometimes these games end up turning out to be grinders. But, uh, yeah, the, the offense is really good. And, again, talk about play styles mirroring. These are two teams that really want to get out in transition. They want to push the ball up the floor. This is a no-shot-clock-necessary kind of game. The guards are really good. Both teams are electric from the three-point line. Uh, it, it is hard for me to imagine a scenario where the score is not in the 50s, at least, in this game. Um, I, I do think the one thing that Norwell has a big advantage in, in terms of style, is defensively, obviously, with the 1-3-1. We talk about it all the time. You know, How much does that impact teams that you never see? Coach Thornton is confident. It's not so much that the 1-3-1 the is really good. By the way, it is. But that's not the point. The point is, 
uh, Gibson Southern has played mostly half-court man-to-man throughout the tournament and most of the season. That's just what most of the teams down in that part of the state do. So it's always that clash of interesting styles. You know, Norwell's seen basically everything. I mean, they got boxed in one in the tournament. They had triangle and two in the tournament, in the regional for a couple possessions against Bent Central. They've seen three, two. They've seen half-court trap, full-court trap. I mean, they've seen everything. The teams in this part of the state junk up the defensive style so much that it gets you experienced and exposed to everything. So I think that's where Norwell really has an advantage is exactly what they did to Hamilton Heights, setting the tone early, getting out to a fast start like they've done basically in every game in this tournament. Norwell has trailed for less than two minutes of game time in this tournament. They have been absolutely dominant, and that includes a win over number 1 Hamilton Heights last weekend. Yeah, and Derek, and talking to Coach Eric Thornton last night on the Coach's Show, and he mentioned just trying to approach this week as normal as possible, and that can be difficult to do, but the way that Norwell has played throughout this tournament and the dominance that they displayed last week in the semi-state at Huntington North, particularly shooting the basketball, and you look at a team that's hitting 37% of its threes, and you look at like Kennedy Filling, who has a higher percentage from the field from three, then from inside the arc this season, it's a very hot shooting team. And I guess you look at, I guess my question is, is, is for Norwell, how important is it to treat this as another game as much as possible, considering the sight lines and all that stuff and the, the unknowns you have at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, particularly for a team that when they're hot from the field are very, very difficult to beat? Yeah, that's always a, a really good question when it comes to state championship week. The good news is they are going to get in and they're going to have practice tomorrow, right at, or actually today, right after lunch, right after lunch, where all the teams get together, so they have that first practice after lunch. Then tomorrow, they're going to do a walkthrough and get some shots up tomorrow morning at Hinkle Fieldhouse, um, so they're going to you know, have a chance to get some more shots up in a different kind of background. Hinkle's not the same as it is at Gamebridge, but it's still an advantage to you know, shoot in a college gym in a big-time environment and get your kids ready. But, yeah, you know, Coach Thornton said, hey, Connie Clark has been the bus driver all year, flying back from Florida early. She's driving them down. They're taking a school bus. No charter, nothing like that, nothing fancy. They're literally trying to keep everything as similar as possible. And this is kind of a singing group. This is one that certainly likes to keep it loose. I, I'm telling you, right before the final four game, I happened to walk past the locker room, and uh, they're blaring unwritten in there about five minutes before tip-off. <laughs> I mean, it is just uh, uh, the loose Loose is, the, is an understatement for this group. I mean, they just absolutely have a blast when they're on the floor. This is basically uh, the most connected group, I think, in terms of seniors and cohesion that they have had and that Coach Thornton has had. And, and Coach Thornton has been quoted saying multiple times, hey, I'm just here to, to be here for questions for this team if they need it. I'm going to prepare them as much as I can, but when the game starts, this is their team. It's been that way all season. It was that way for lots of last and it has been building to this moment. Could not be happier for Coach Thornton just to get the opportunity to play in this game. He's been waiting 27 long years as the head coach at Norwell with so much tournament success, but never to this level. And somebody, either Norwell or Gibson Southern in that 3A game, is going to get their first ever state championship tomorrow. Derek Decker, he'll be on the call for Bishop Lures and Brownstown Central at 1245 tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Also following Norwell, 6 o'clock tip. Josh Williams will have the call for that game for us here on 1380 The Fan uh, coming up tomorrow evening. Uh, Derek, as always, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll hear you on the Sports Rush l- later this afternoon. Busy weekend for you here. Absolutely, uh, but very much looking forward to it. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. That's Derek Decker with us. Coming up on the other side, Justin's got to bounce. I'll wrap things up, though, here 
on the show. Uh, Japan's Naked Man Festival coming to an end. We'll, I'm we'll get to, to stick that. around. <laughs> we'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch with you to close up here on a Friday. Thanks to Derek Decker for joining us to preview the uh, girls' state finals coming up tomorrow down in Indy at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Time to get to our final story of the week. And it's quite the headline. Japan's Naked Man Festival is coming to an end. And the reason why will probably surprise you. So it's it's known as the Naked Man Festival came to an end after nearly 1,000 years due to the declining population in the area, according to organizers. The Soman Sai Festival, commonly known as the Naked Man Festival, involves hundreds of loincloth-clad men gathering at a temple in Oshu to wrestle for ownership the bag of talismans blessed by the temple's chief priest. The festival goes back more than a thousand years held annually on the seventh day of the lunar new year. And the chief priest of the temple announced this year's festival, which was held last Saturday would be the last due to the aging of individuals involved in the festival and a shortage of successors. They tried to continue it, uh, but they made the decision to cancel the festival. Uh, This year's winner, local resident Kikuchi, Toshiaki, who's 49 years old, member of the festival's preservation association. Um, he said, it's sad the festival's ending. I participated in hopes it would be a memorable festival. Uh, well, you won the last one, so it's certainly going to be memorable indeed. Coming up later today here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM, we'll of course have Dan Patrick coming up at 9 o'clock. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush, not with Brett Rump, but with Derek Decker, uh, as we mentioned, filling in uh, for Brett Rump today from 4 to 6. Also, don't forget, coming up tonight on the panel of high school basketball, Norwell at Homestead. John Nolan on the call for that. To tip at 7.30 here on 1380 The Fan. If you're looking for the Purdue-Fort Wayne game, uh, you can listen on the stream at 1380thefan.com. Pre-game 6.45, tip at 7, Purdue-Fort Wayne at Green Bay and Horizon League play. Also, again, another reminder coming up tomorrow, IHSAA Girls State Finals 1245 coverage for the 2A state title game between Bishop Bloors and Brownstown Central. Derek Decker on the call for that. And then at 6 o'clock, the tip, 550 or so coverage starting. Josh Williams on the call for the 3A title game between Norwell and Gibson Southern. And one other note I want to share with you, if you're looking for the Purdue game on Sunday, that will be on uh, our sister station, WoWo 92.3 FM, because we'll have Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Milwaukee uh, coming up Sunday afternoon here on the fan. But Purdue at Michigan will be on WoWo 92.3 FM on Sunday, pregame at 1, tip at 2. As always, you can find the full schedule of our games at 1380thefan.com. That does it for us. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Batch. Also, thanks to Derek Decker for joining us. I hope you have an outstanding weekend. Thanks for joining and listening to Caleb and Kinney in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.